can ring him by about now. Uh, we had a full-on worship. Oh, I'm getting old, mate. Give me a break. Getting old. Last week was the big full-on. This week's a little bit more subdued, but it's okay to have both. Need rah-rah and you need quiet times too with God. It's really good. So if you're visiting with us today, it's great to have you here. We've uh, been looking at a series called Hearing the Voice of God. And uh, last week we really heard from God and thought it was probably time to, to make a change and move on to something new. And I've just been asking the Lord what it is that we should look at this week. And to sort of introduce the topic to you, I want to tell you a story. When I was um, about 11 or 12, I was a billy cart king. Like, you know, there's billy carts and then there's zooped up billy carts. So back in my day, when I was about 10, there are a lot of dads missing wheels off their wheelbarrow, mothers missing pram wheels, lawnmower wheels that went missing. We had these zooped up, you know, big wheels at the back, little wheels at the front, and all these, you know, we were stealing chairs so we'd have proper seats and we'd have brake systems and, oh, we, we just went to town. And we lived on a, uh, an acre property in Wonga Park and my mates lived on the other side and my other mates lived on the other side. But our, our blocks sloped like this, but they were undulating. So we made this track from the top block, you know, weaved your way down through the first acre, down through the second acre. And the third property had this super duper dip in it. And we used to track down there. But if anybody's been to Wonga Park out that way, there is a road called Gadders Road. And on that road is a fire access track. And I kid you not, there are two, two hills that go like this. They're about 250 metres down. You hit the bottom and you come straight back up and you go over and then the next one's there. I can, here's the truth. I lost my licence going down there at 190 kilometres an hour when I was 21. So, but before that, we used to do it in billy carts. Can you imagine going down a dirt road flat out in a billy cart if it's not well made by a 10-year-old? It's dangerous. And one day in our mad dash to create the best billy cart we could, we put bike wheels on the back and pram wheels on the front. But some smart bunny forgot to put one of these in the axle. This is called a split pin. When you put the wheel on the axle, there's a little hole in the axle and you put this through and you bend it out so the wheel can't come off. So you know what happened now. You know what happened, don't you, John? Halfway down the hill, the front right-hand wheel disappeared off into the blackberries and the axle crunched into the road and the two of us on the billy cart went head first down the road and we were cut and bruised and battered and in the blackberries and uh, we learned a very valuable lesson don't forget the split pin it's just a little thing but it's so important in life and that's what I want to talk about today because trust trusting in God trusting in his word trusting in what he has for us trusting in one another Trusting in the people that God puts in authority over us. Trusting in our marriages. Trusting in our parents. Trusting in our siblings. I mean, trust is the split pin of a faith life. If you don't have trust, then your life is going to come a cropper. Just like me and my little billy cart. The scriptures say, trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
not half your heart or a portion of your heart, but all your heart. It's a, it's a huge commitment. And you and I both know that trust is like it's essential in any relationship. If you've got a marriage and you don't trust your husband, what sort of relationship's that? If, you, if you're a, a child and you don't trust your parents, what sort of a relationship is that? So without trust, relationships get really destabilized. There's an air of suspicion all the time about what that person's doing. What is their motive? What, what are they up to? And, and it ends up that there's distance or there's separation in that relationship when really God wants the trust level to be so high that there's great intimacy and there's great connectedness, you know, that, that we're, we're so close to one another. So when there's not trust, when there's an absence of trust in any relationship, then what happens is we develop behavioral patterns to compensate for the lack of trust. And that can happen with God. If, we, if we've been through experiences in our spiritual world where, where things haven't been really good, then our ability to trust in what God has for us up ahead can be hard to embrace because we're fearful of, oh, that happened before, maybe it'll happen again. I bet you if we did a little survey and asked, have you felt betrayed or um, was there scenarios in your church life where your leaders failed you or didn't, didn't, didn't do the things that you expected them to do so your trust in spiritual leaders diminished. Most of us would tick the box and say, yeah, we've had scenarios like that. And, and so trust, when we're talking about trusting God and, and trusting in the church, it's a huge thing. It's just like a split pin. It's only a little thing, really, but it has so such big ramifications for the way that we will go on in God, the way that we will embrace things and embrace one another. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out. All of them were the leaders of the Israelites. These are their names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, son of... I'm not even going to bother to try. I will just embarrass myself. The point is, these were godly men. Men picked by hand by Moses who were supposed to represent God-fearing, trusting, faith-filled men who were going to go into the land, spy out the land, and bring back a report. These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak or few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first grapes. So they went up and explored the land. In the context of what was happening here, possessing the land of Canaan was the climax of what God had been doing in the life of the Israelites. He'd taken them out of Egypt, the Hebrew people. They had no identity. He gave them spiritual laws. He gave them uh, social laws. He gave them religious laws at Mount Sinai. And he began to knit them together to be a nation. But nations have to have land. They have to have a place that they can call home. So these were nomadic people who were coming into the, the climax and the pinnacle of the exodus and all that God had done for them to take the land, to have a place that they could call home. 
to finally be at peace and, and settle down and have prosperity and enjoy everything that God wanted them to have. So you can imagine the anticipation of the people waiting for these 12 spies to come back and tell them what it was really like out there. So they went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahaman, Seshai, and Telmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. And at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. And they were giants, huge men. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Collingwoodites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. Now you imagine a million people waiting for a report and it's been passed down the line and Caleb said, be quiet, I've got something I want to say. We should go up and take possession of the land. We should certainly do it. That was his testimony. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, just giant men. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. So that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we died in Egypt or in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all of the signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with the plague and destroy them. But I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. It's a tragic story, isn't it? When you think about what was ahead of them, all that God was going to do, and yet a rumor began to spread. 
and that rumor started off as some negativity about what might be and the, the impossibilities, and it ended up with them trying to stone Moses and Aaron. It's crazy. The Israelites lacked trust. That was the bottom line. The split pin came off their faith. The wheels came off. At a time when they should have had the faith to go on up ahead and embrace everything that God had for them. They feared going forward. They feared the unknown. They took their focus off God and they only saw their own inadequacy. I mean, it's a tragedy of monumental scale. Generations of people missed out on what God had for them because they feared instead of trusted. They lacked trust in the proven faithfulness of God. All they had to do was look over their shoulder and see everything God had done for them to know that God was trustworthy. They lacked trust in God's commands and his promises. God said he'd give them the land. So was God a liar? That's really what they were saying in their decision, wasn't it? God, you're untrustworthy. They lacked trust in the leaders God had appointed to them. After everything Moses and Aaron had done, when the, when the crunch time came, when they were stretched out of their comfort zone, when God began to really test them, they turned on their own leaders and tore them down. They were quickly and easily persuaded by others to doubt, then grumble, and then rebel. Their lack of trust spread a perspective of intimidation through the whole tribes instead of an attitude of conquest. Imagine a million people standing with, with Caleb and Joseph saying, yep, we can do this, not in our own strength, but our God, our God that parted the Red Sea, our God that provided manna in the wilderness, our God that was so faithful in getting us out of Egypt. Like, all they had to do was just look at the, the faithfulness of God to know that what was up ahead was simple for him. So easy for God to give them victory. Their lack of trust at first paralyzed them. Then as it festered, it grew into a damaging and open defiance against God. They even set themselves against the people who had the faith to go and do it. They could have said, look, this is too much for us, but, but you've got the faith to do it. You go and do it. No, they tried to tear them down. They tried to stop them embracing what God had. And ultimately, their lack of trust deceived them into believing even going back into Egypt, going back into chains and slavery was better than going ahead into what God had promised for them. It's just a sad story. It's, it's tragic. But it's not much different to our lives. Because when we face situations when our comfort zone is being invaded and the Lord's put choices of faith in front of us, faith that's really going to you know, test what we trust in and how much trust we've got. There's two choices we can make. We can either stand firm on the faithfulness of God in our, in our past and trust in his goodness and believe on his word and look at his capacity to sustain us and get us through. Or the opposite happens, because if we don't trust God and the people that God's put over us to lead us, then the other choice is that we've got to find a way to justify why we don't trust, why we won't get out of our comfort zone, why we won't move on in God. And so that means you're going to react in fear or you're going to be defensive and you're going to build walls around yourself and you're going to say, just leave me alone in my little comfort happy zone. But that's not the economy of God. I believe that God purposefully and intentionally wants to stretch us he, when he sees us in a comfort zone, God's alarm bells goes on. He says, Shannon, you're getting a bit comfortable. It's time to rock 
the boat. But God doesn't do that because he's because he's bitter or nasty. He does it because he knows that when we're shaken, that's when our our faith is really tested. When the wheels of the billy cart start to wobble, you know, that's when we start crying out for God. That's when we really start pressing in. So it's a good thing that our cage gets rattled. It's a good thing when God stirs us up and situations and circumstances stretch us and our theology gets stretched and our, our relationships get stretched because that's when the crunch is going to come. That's when we're going to find out, do we really trust in the things of God or not? Do we trust in God's word or are we going to, like a smorgasbord, take the bits and pieces that we like instead of taking everything that God's got for us? So this story powerfully demonstrates that if we choose not to trust God and those God has put in positions of authority over us, we justify our response through mistrust, criticism, separation, and even irrational behavior and logic. It was irrational to say, let's go back to Egypt, wasn't it? I mean, that was, you just think, how did they get to that place? Because of fear. Because of fear. Fear of what was ahead. Fear of going forward. Fear of embracing the unknown. The following God is not a smorgasbord where we get to pick and choose what we like and what we are comfortable with. It's not a smorgasbord where we get to make those choices. We've got to recognize that God's going to stretch us. Now, here's the point. Sometimes we struggle to trust because our trust has been violated and broken in the past, and people have proven untrustworthy. That's a reality probably in all our lives. We can look back and we can pick times and places and people where we felt really betrayed and really crushed by people's behavior. And it makes it so much more difficult to trust again, doesn't it? You've got to really put your place self in a place of vulnerability to trust again. What's that old saying? Better to have loved and failed than never have loved at all. It's that sort of thing. Um, but if we shared the microphone to, around today, I'm sure you could tell me some horror stories of the way that your trust has been violated. And the journey of creeping forward in your life, trying to, to gather enough courage to get play, back to a place of trusting God. Now, I don't think God ever is untrustworthy, but the people that represent God often are. And the sad part is we can either let that, that, those incidents that have, uh, have rocked our world shape the way we see it, or we can have healing. Because if you've had a pastor or a leader in your life that, that, that's betrayed you or done something horrible, then you're going to see every other leader that comes along through that perspective unless you get healing. So you might come to this church not knowing me very well, but you brand me with what happened in your past. But that's not me. I might not be like that. I might be the one person God's sent to rebuild your trust. But you can't embrace that because there's still the pain and the hurt and the, and the expectation that that's going to happen again. And you know something? There's no guarantee that it won't. <laughs> but it's faith and trust. It's learning to trust God. And it's a hard thing. I'm not saying it's easy. So if we feel betrayed in our past, our coping mechanism is that we sometimes keep things at a distance where it's safe. We don't throw ourselves in 100% just in case. 
we end up looking silly again because the same thing happens. We resist new things. We avoid anything associated with our past hurts and experiences because they go off like a trigger. But God wants to heal us from that. He doesn't want to leave us in that state where we're bruised and battered and we can't be someone who trusts again. Because trust like this split pin. It's only little, but it's so important. And we need to allow God to heal us. You know what the Israelites should have done? Those 10 men should have said, we are so frightened. The things that we saw were just, you should have seen those men. They were 12 foot tall. It was okay to say that they were fearful. But it's turning that around saying, but we've got God on our side. Looking back through my life, I saw that Red Sea part and I walked through that sea. I saw the manna appear every morning. I saw the water come out of the rock. I know what I see with my eyes, but I know my faithfulness in God. I can trust him. I can trust him with all my heart. So if we've been violated in some way that our trust level has been broken, we've got to bring that to God and let him heal us, let him restore us so we can go again. Because there's no way we'll move forward in confidence. There's no that way that we will have loyalty to other people unless that gets healed. So we need to seek healing so that we don't brand everyone else with other people's failures and mistakes. You know, we were pastor in a church. We were youth pastors. And the leadership wasn't very, what's the word? It was fairly dysfunctional. There were three pastors in the team and it, was, it wasn't a good wasn't a good situation. No one was intentionally being nasty, but just because of personalities and different giftedness, we weren't in cohesion together. And Cheryl and I went to um, one of the elders of the church because like, we were as raw and green as anything. This was our first ministry. We didn't really know how to resolve the problem. So we went to someone that we trusted and respected and just sort of with fear and trepidation put our heart on the table and said, we're not coping. It's not working. Can we do something to fix this? We, we don't know. We don't have the maturity. We don't have the, the skills to address it, to bring it to a head. Would you help us? And he said, look, let me pray about it and um, I'll get back to you. Let me just take some time to weigh it up. So Cheryl and I, you know, we were, we were really struggling. And then a week later, he said, come on into my office. I want to talk to you both. So we went into his office and he said, look, I've, I've, I've prayed about this long and hard and I know what the problem is. It's you. You're the problem. You want to be the senior pastor of the church and you can't submit. I didn't know how to answer because that wasn't in my mind and that wasn't in my heart. I felt crushed. You know, I felt so belittled by like that. I didn't even have... I was so numb by what he said, I didn't even respond. Like I didn't, I was like flabbergasted because that wasn't my intention. And yet it took me many, many years after that to ever trust someone else in leadership again because I got so hurt. Because he had imposed something on me that violated my trust completely because that wasn't my heart. And even when I tried to say that it wasn't, he still wouldn't accept it. So it was a horrible place to be in. So I can tell you from experience, I know what it's like to be in that awful place where you've got to scramble 
to get back to a place where you can trust people again. And it doesn't happen overnight. But you've got to get back in the saddle. You've got to open up your heart again and let God heal you because there's lots of good leaders out there. You know, he came and apologized to us many moons down the track and said, I don't think I treated you guys very well. And that brought healing. But what if he'd never come? What was, was I just going to sit wounded and never go back to church and never be a leader again? Or was I going to embrace what God had for me in my promised land and my future? Something had to change. So I had to recognize that, yeah, I was hurt, deeply hurt and deeply wounded. But God's grace and his power was greater than that woundedness. And redemption and healing is what God does best. So when we do feel like our trust levels are so minimal, we need to put our trust in God and he'll bring us through. We need to acknowledge that in the past, we perhaps respond like the Israelites. We run away. When it gets tough, we just duck for cover. When our, when, when our comfort zone starts to get rattled, we just say, whoa, I'm, I'm happy here. Leave me alone. But we need to step out of our vulnerable state into the unknown and allow God's space to demonstrate his goodness and for us to grow in trust again. Here's a really important part. We have to recognize and embrace the reality that a choice of a faith life, like if you're saying, God, I want to go on with you. Lord, I want to be a firebrand for you. I want to be someone that you use and utilize. I want to be on the coal face. You're setting yourself up. Do you realize that? Because a life of faith and moving with the Holy Spirit will be totally inconvenient. It will challenge your comfort zones and it will demand of us that we don't fear moving forward despite whether the past was good or bad, despite whether you've had prophetic words over you that were just out of order and totally wrong. You've got to trust God again. You know, things do happen. But we've got to wrestle with that. We've got to trust God and we've got to move on. If we don't want to change or move forward in God or be challenged out of our comfort zone, I'm sorry, you're in the wrong church. Go and find another one. Because I don't want a comfortable church. I don't want a church of convenience. I don't want a group of people who are just sitting around saying, I'm happy where I am. We have got to grow. We've got to be stretched. We've got to go on with God. We've got to be like the Israelites that even if the future looks tough and demanding, even impossible, we've got to have the heart of faith and trust to say, God, in the natural, it doesn't look right, but in the spiritual, I'll trust you. I walk by faith, not by sight. That's the sort of church we've got to go be. We're asking the Lord to stretch us, to believe beyond our own capabilities, and the success or failure of the past doesn't really matter because we want to build within us a deeper, stronger measure of trust in him and one another. That's my hope for this church. I hope God asks us to do the incredibly impossible and to really stretch us in every way possible because I know that when we come through and out the other side, we'll have learnt less incredible lessons of trusting God. And you know what God will do? He won't say, well done, you've passed the test. Have a rest for 20 years. He'll up the ante. He'll ask us to do more. Why? 
because he'll stretch us and he'll grow us and he'll mature us and he'll take us from one degree of trust to another degree of trust. Because if we're faithful in the little things and we prove trustworthy in the little things, then what happens? We're getting trusted with greater things, don't we? That's the principle. That's the kingdom and economy. So as the leader of this church, by invitation and intention, I'm asking God to arrest all our lives, to shake them up, to get the Coke can and shake it until the lid blows off. Because I know that's the best thing for me, and I know that that's the best thing for you. And will it be uncomfortable? Yes. Will you have to face things that are, that are awkward in your life? Yes, you will. But will God be faithful? Absolutely. And will you get healed from those things in the past that have held you back? If you want to, you will. That's your choice. But it's going to be really uncomfortable if 80 or 90% of the church go, we're off. We're going into the promised land. We're going into God's destiny for us and you're left behind. You're going to feel silly. You're going to rob yourself of the victory and the blessing that God has for you because of a little thing called fear. False evidence appearing real. Was it real that there were giants in the land? Yep. Was it real that there were fortified cities? Yep. Did they have any concept that they would just walk around those walls and shout and then they'd fall down? Did they have any concept that God would turn up in the battle and he'd actually get so excited that he'd fight for them? They didn't see what God had, but they didn't allow themselves to see. They didn't even give themselves the opportunity to allow God to be God. They sold him short, they sold the leaders short, and they robbed themselves. You know, the sad journey of walking in Christian leadership is that you see so many people just give up out of fear or give up because the past has been so difficult and they don't allow God to come and do what God does best, to birth trust and faith within us, to be whole to enter into fullness spiritually, to embrace all that God has up ahead for us will require us to trust, to trust him, to trust his word, to trust his people, to be a person of faith and trust. The kids have been making a banner out there this morning, a little bit like the one that Collingwood won't be running through on grand final day. <laughs> I am nasty. Yeah, <laughs> it's prophetic. <laughs> and if they get there, it'll be pathetic because <laughs> I'll have to eat more humble pie. But seriously, there will be times in our life where the split pins come out. And I want to give you a, an opportunity this morning just to think about where those junctures in your journey might have been. Because they'll be there. There'll be some things there. There might be people in your family that, that have betrayed you. You know, I got some news about someone in my family this week that has just rocked my world. It's like, yeah, I'm preaching on trust, so God brings something up that really tested me. Am I going to trust you again? Someone that I esteem more than anyone else on this planet made a mistake. What do I do? Do I give up because that role model fell apart, made a mistake? No. You trust God. That person's only human. God will forgive them. It's an opportunity for us to grow and to grow and to grow. This morning, what, I, what I'd really like you to do is just take a moment to think about where you're at in God.
Have you been betrayed by someone? Are you at a place where it's hard for you to, to really commit to the church and commit to things because of woundedness from the past? Well, it's time to deal with it. Time to let God deal with it. Are there things that happen in church life where you go, whoa, I can't, I, I can't embrace that? Well, if it's in God's word, you don't have a choice. You can get angry at me. All I'm going to do is take you to the Bible and say, well, there it is in black and white. That's why I want it. Not for any other reason. Do I get uncomfortable at times? Absolutely. I really do. God stretches me as much as he's going to stretch you. But we've got to together encourage one another to embrace our fears and let God be victory, have victory over them. Don't be a victim. Being a victim is a horrible thing. Victimized Christians are just miserable. You know, you wouldn't want to be at that place that the Israelites were in, grumbling and moaning. So take some time this morning just in the quietness to have a think about what it might be. It might be a relationship with your parents that you don't trust very well. It might be someone in your past church that really hurt you and wounded you. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to give you the opportunity to write on one of these sticky notes. Maybe that person's name. Maybe something that just represents that incident or what it is. And we're going to stick them on that banner. And at the top of that banner is the word breakthrough. Okay, I really believe God wants to break through. Wouldn't it have been great if the Israelites in that fear had got on their knees and just said, God, change your hearts, change your attitudes. Lord, I'm fearful, I'm scared, I'm frightened, but but I'll put my trust in you. I'll put my, my fears and my anxieties and my worries and I'll just bring them to you, Lord, and I'll let you be Lord over them. I'll let you be sovereign. I'll let you speak the words of healing over my life. I'll give you the opportunity, God, to bring healing to my life. Why don't we just bow our heads and just quietly just think. Holy Spirit, I just pray this morning that you know, trust is such an incredibly important thing in every relationship that we have. And Lord, this morning, I, I want to stand in the gap for those who've been wounded, where their spirits have been crushed by things that have happened in their families or in the church or in their workplaces. Or There's just been a hardness around their heart because of those things. Holy Spirit, you're the only one that can come and heal. You're the only one that can draw us out of that dryness and, and fear and replace it with new hope and new expectation and trust. The Holy Spirit, would you just move through people's minds right now? Just bring back to them. things that they need to get right today, the things where there needs to be a breakthrough. Not so that they'll run away back to Egypt again, but so they'll join the Caleb's and the Joshua's and say, we can do this if God says do it. Lord, how sad would it be that we don't enter into all the things that you have up ahead? Caleb and Joshua saw it all. They got all the blessings and all the benefits because they had trust in you. 
Lord, we want to be a people that trust you. And this morning, Father, I pray that you do a deep work in people's lives where there's been fear of moving forward, fear of embracing new things, where the pastors sort of paralyzed and crippled them. Father, would you have them walking again, have them moving in faith again? Lord, you know our lives better than we do. But Lord, if we're going to go ahead in faith and purpose and embrace all that you've had, we can't be tied to woundedness and fear. We need to be whole. We need to be whole.